in today's show. I'm going to go through the tips to win, I hope, dominate, maybe, at least have fun in playing in a fantasy basketball league. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball, on TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball, and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. Thank you also for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free. We are available on all platforms. All right. So a couple of things to get out of the way here. Yeah, the title of this video is probably a little bit clickbaity. Dominate your league, maybe. Like, it's just more about little bits and pieces and pointers that we need to talk about. Secondly, yes, I, I do this video every year. And I know there's going to be some bozo who's getting ready to type in, man, you do the same thing every single year. Just rehash it. Yeah. I, I do because we're heading into a new season. So I'm going through this again because A, there are people who are playing fantasy basketball for the first time. Um, B, it's a, a video just to put out in this sort of quietish period that will hopefully provide some different opinions or refresh some memories about certain things that play in fantasy basketball. Hey, if you've seen this sort of video four or five times before, uh, I apologize. Just don't, you don't have to watch it. it it's It's okay. But... There are some different things that I'm adding into this, but a lot of it is relatively um, generic advice for for leagues and for people new to fantasy. But I think there's going to be a few little things in there for everybody when we go through it. So yeah, this video does get done every year because fantasy basketball happens every single year and new people play or people haven't played for five years or whatever it is, right? This stuff happens all the time. That's just the nature of what this is. So I do apologize if that frustrates you, but that's how we're going to go about it. So... We are going to talk about tips, strategies, things to be aware of when playing fantasy basketball, um, before your drafts, in season, all of that stuff. Warning. Let's get it on, Gilly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what do we need to do before a draft? Because that's where we are now. I hope, I hope that none of you outside of Dynasty Leagues have had your season draft now. It's just, it's not a great time to do it. In fact, we just saw, you can see old mate there on the graphic. If you are on YouTube, PJ Washington Jr., he just signed a contract today. So that changes tons for the Hornets. Tons. I think it means Brandon Miller is going to get Clifforded really hard. Steve Clifford does not like to play rookies at all. At all. He's had a number four overall pick before. Cody Zell played 19 minutes a game. He's had a number six overall pick before. Mo Bumba played like 15 minutes a game. And now with Gordon Haywood, Miles Bridges, PJ Washington... All of these guys are going to have opportunities probably ahead of Brandon Miller. So it really makes Miller a hard guy to drive. Now, what this means for Washington, who played 27 minutes a night. I know I'm going off track here. Washington played 27 minutes a night um, when Miles Bridges was available two years ago and wasn't really that useful. Elevated to a starter, played big minutes last season. But now, how does Haywood, Bridges, Washington, Miller, how do they all fit 
it makes it really, really difficult to figure it out. But that's back to the point. Like if you're drafting now, like you made those decisions a week ago before PJ was signed. Well, things have changed. I think you should wait. Yes, it means that things like pre-ranks get adjusted and a lot of values can disappear, but that means other ones do pop up. Yeah. All right. So the number one thing in any fantasy sport, in any fantasy league, is know your league settings. That is the most simplest thing. If I'm to give one person or if I give any person one hint or one tip, that's it. Know what your league is. Is it a category league? Is it a points league? Is it a dynasty league? Is it a keeper league? How many people can you keep in your keeper league? Are you running a snake draft? Are you running an auction draft? How many active spots do you have? How many bench spots do you have? How many IR spots do you have? Do you change your lineup daily? Do you change it weekly? What side is it on? Is it on Yahoo, ESPN, Sleeper, Fantrax? How does it all work? How do you acquire free agents? Do you have a games cap limit for the week? Do you have an acquisition limit for the week? Do you have no bench? Do you have a large bench? All of that changes everything that you do in a fantasy league. Every single thing that happens. You got a large bench, more stashability. You've got no bench. Well, you've got to be really active with streaming. You've only got three ads for the week. Well, that becomes harder again. You've got unlimited ads. Well, then you go super hard and you know that the back end of your roster can be changed every single day as my voice cracks for some reason. So you've got to understand what your particular league settings are. I can't tell you every nuance for every league type out there. You can drop it in comments below. You can tweet it at me. And if there's a specific thing that you want me to try and get through or talk about directly to you, I can. But you've just got to know your settings. It's as simple as that. You have to know your settings. Does your dynasty league have a draft lottery? Do you tank your ass off all season to be the worst team? Does that mean you get number one overall pick? And then you crack the shits because you don't get number one overall pick and you're in a lottery? You got to know that. Simple as that. You have to know your settings. The other two things I think you really need to look at before a draft happens is player movement. Now, this show has been running all off-season. We've gone basically at least five shows a week for nearly every week of the season or of the year. So if you have watched every one of these shows, congratulations. You are what we call an everyday. You're here watching every day. You've got a leg up. But if you just saunter in and you're watching this video on October the 10th, two weeks before the NBA season and you've paid no attention because you've been balls deep in baseball or football, well, you've got to know who's on different teams. You've got to know that Fred Van Vliet's no longer in Toronto and he's in Houston. That means Kevin Porter comes off the bench. You've got to know these things. You've got to know who has changed teams. You've got to know what it means. You've got to know whether Damian Lillard was traded and who that opens things up for in Portland and what it means in Miami. You have to know them. And if you haven't understood that and if you just base everything on the statistics of what happened last season, it's probably a bad recipe. And then rookies. I'm going to do a show on rookies. I'm recording this on August the 27th. I think there's going to be a show coming out maybe the 28th or 29th just talking about rookies, looking at the historical production of rookies and the way they get significantly overvalued and understanding that nearly all rookies will have efficiency issues, especially guards, and they will struggle at times early on for minutes. And the idea of a rookie wall is a myth. Players and rookies get better as the season goes on nearly every time. So understanding how you evaluate a rookie coming in, knowing that usually if you pass a rook on, a, on a rookie in a draft, it is usually the correct decision. Take flyers on them at the end, no worries, but there's always going to be four or five more rookies drafted in a draft that needs to be drafted. That's just usually what happens. But you have to understand how you can look at the players who can translate immediately. Situation and role is key, but also understanding the very, very common pitfalls of drafting rookies and understanding that it is tough for those guys to provide much value. Again, we are my voice, man, it's gone on. We are going to talk about that more in a show coming up in the next couple of days. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. 
Get ready for the NFL season with these incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers, you can bet five bucks and you get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5, not even new customers, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use and you can be on everything from spreads to player props and more. You can maybe check to see whether Tua Tagovailoa is going to win the MVP. Do you want to put a bet on that? I probably wouldn't. But hopefully my Dolphins can do something in this season, which they haven't done for years and years and years. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Don't forget to gamble responsibly. Okay. Draft strategy. We've planned out, we know what's happening in our league. So what do we need to know heading into a draft? Rankings and ADP are big things. You will have rankings that you see on the site that you play. Yahoo, Fantrax, ESPN, CBS, Sleeper, whatever. They will have their rankings. What do those rankings mean? I talked about this in a show the other day. What do they actually represent? Are they a points league ranking? Are they a category league ranking? Are they an incomprehensible mesh of the two? Which guys... If that is the case, which guys should be higher in categories, which guys should be higher in points as they try to thread the needle in the middle? What does it all mean? And then understand that the ADP, which means average draft position for those of you new to fantasy, that number gets highly influenced by the pre-ranking on the site. So if a site ranks Giannis as the 14th best player, his ADP will probably around 13th, 12th, 11th. Very unlikely you'll see a guy ranked at 40 who has an ADP at 10. Just People will just default often to that list. So understand what that list is telling you. Where do you agree? Where don't you agree? Use it to your advantage. If you know that people in your league are going to go based on ADP, which is influenced by rankings, understand that if there's a guy that you really like who's got an ADP of 100, you think he's the 50th best player, understand that you probably don't have to go for him at pick 50 because if everyone else is thinking the same way and thinking that he's going at 100 or 90, well, if you get him at 80, you've just snagged tons of value. Have to understand the idea of ADP, how it gets influenced, and how those rankings work. If you're using rankings from sites that aren't the individual host site, also understand how those people come to their rankings. Now, I, of course, work for Basketball Monster. We do projections, which get turned into a rankings on the projection site. But I, I cannot stress to you enough that that is in no way a ranking list. It, it isn't. The guy that comes in with a pure ranking of 100th, Giannis, He's not the 100th best player because understanding how those numbers come to fruition, what they mean and how they get there is really, really key. How do you decipher all these numbers? If you just draft based on a list of players, you'll lose your league. And I've said this for as long as I've been doing this, which is coming up 10 years now. If you just have a list of players that you're drafting off, you might as well just put them into an auto draft queue and don't turn up and you'll lose. You just will because it doesn't take into consideration trying to get value, trying to get the right build on your team, trying to avoid too many guys who are injured to start the season or whatever it is, right? Understanding what those ranking lists mean and how to use them, but also how not to use them. I'm going to do a separate show on auction drafts, which are also called salary cap drafts. So understand if your league's a snake draft or an auction draft and understand the differences in those. Most of the things I talk about in today's show is going to be on snakes, but auctions is going to be a separate show. Positional scarcity and team builds is another thing that you need to know heading into your draft. Which which positions, and you do this by mock drafts, watching my mock drafts, which positions go off the board early? And it usually ends up being um, point guards. 
round three, round four, tons of point guards go. Then you have a section in the middle of round five through seven where centers go. And then some shittier point guards go seven to nine. And then there's backup bigs or or uh, okay big men who go in the, the round 10 to 11 range. And then a bunch of shooting guards and, and small forwards who hit a lot of threes go in round 10, 11, 12. That's usually how it goes. Position scarcity also turns into categorical scarcity, which doesn't apply to points leagues, but it does for category leagues. And I'm going to do a whole show on categorical scarcity later in, in the preseason process. But usually... Points go off the board really early. Assists and free throw percentage get hard to really um, get positive value for, for early on. Um, rebounds don't go early, but they go in the mid-rounds and they're hard to get late. Blocks, there's probably about 10 guys. We're going to block two shots a game, might be 15. Um, but after those guys go, then it's really hard to find high block players. Field goal percentage being grabbed later on. Threes are a common stat that's found later in drafts. But we're going to really dig into the numbers on that at a later point in the season, but understanding how it's not, again, just pure straight value of a player, however you value them, there's a lot of nuance that goes behind it. This is something that I'm digging into a lot more this season, and that's variance. Variance. We look at numbers, and I have been guilty of this a lot in the past, I'm going to try not to be as guilty of it this season, of looking at a player and their averages. And you say, well, we've projected him to average 20 points, six rebounds, and four assists. Okay. That's all well and good, and we put that together, and we put it together in looking at our team build and our draft tracker and how good our team looks. And then we go, man, look how good our our team is. All of these average numbers add up to these great performances. But in reality, a fantasy league as a general rule is a one-week head-to-head matchup where you get 40 to 50 games played versus your opponent's 40 to 50 games played or 35 or whatever the number is. That's incredibly small sample size. So a player might average 20 and 6 and 5 with a steal, with a block, over the course of a season. That's that's way more important for a roto league, where over a 70-game, 80-game sample, those numbers really stabilize. But in week-to-week variance, and I'm gonna, again, I'm going to do a lot more on this as the preseason goes, you're going to see players, like I tweeted out an example of this a, a week ago, of Shea Gildas-Alexander's totals ranking for a week. He played a game in every single week of the season and finished like third overall per game. And out of the 24 fantasy weeks, Shea was a top 10 player, seven out of the 24 weeks. This is not to say that he is bad because there were some weeks that he would play one game because he'd miss a couple because of injury and weekly schedule impacted things. But overall, his averages meant he was third overall, but he provided top 10 finishes in less than a third of the weeks. That individual, so when we're really, well, this guy is an 80% shooter from the line. Okay, one week he might be 85, the next two weeks he might be 73 and that week-to-week variance means that when you look at your team's overall stats for a season and projected stats for a season and look at how everything looks, that's not necessarily how it's going to play out, which turns to takes me through to things like punting and all that sort of stuff where and let, you have to be super, super strong in individual categories to be able to really insulate yourself against that variance. If you try and punt categories, which the idea of that is to make other categories strong, you have to make those categories very, very strong so you can insulate yourself from the inherent level of week-to-week variance, which is relatively large. It's relatively large. And the other thing yeah, that's really important variance-wise, I, again, I, I did tweet about this, but I was having a discussion with someone on our Basketball Monster Projections talking about Wendell Carter Jr.'s free throw percentage and how he'd been like a 73% guy for three or four years in a row last season. He did drop down to, I think, 69 or 70, whatever it was, and I'd projected him at 71.6%. 
We have two sets of projections on Basketball Monster. I'm not even sure if I've told this story on here before, but I'm going to tell it again. We have two sets of projections, myself and Kyle McEwen does one. And I projected Wendell at 71.6%. Kyle had projected him at 73.6%. And a, a user commented and was like, well, I think Kyle's numbers, yeah, why is Josh at 71.6 and Kyle's at 73.6? Um, yeah, he's been a 73% shooter for three or four years. And I'm getting to a point here. And I went, okay, let me have a look at that. And, and I looked at it. And based on the attempts that I had Wendell Carter Jr. taking from the line this season, the difference between 71.6% and 73.6% was four free throws. Not four free throws made a week, four extra free throws made for an entire season. And we look at these numbers and these percentages and whatever they are and go, well, look at this guy. He's awesome. He's 80 and he's a 77% shooter. That's such a big difference. Four free throws. Four free throws. on that was 225 attempts for a season. That is an insanely low amount. So all it takes is him to hit six extra free throws or to miss an extra four, four free throws for that number to go from 75 to 68 or whatever it is for the season. It's a wild change. And I, I actually, I knew there was variance issues. I didn't realize that four free throws over the course of a season could just change things by two percentage points. Change, free throws, done. That That's pretty crazy to me. And again, that goes into, say, Giannis, the man in the picture here, who last season was really bad at free throws, but the year before shot 72%. So he dropped like eight percentage points on his free throw percentage in one year. So we go into it and go, well, Giannis is going to kill your free throws. He's going to shoot 65. Well, will he? Well, what if he goes back to 73? I don't know. There's a lot of variance in this stuff. Reaching. What does that mean? It means in a draft. Someone might be sitting on the board at ranking of 100, ADP of 90, and you're there at pick 70. You go, well, I actually think this guy's a top 50 player. Um, I'm going to reach for him. Is it worth it? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes it is. Sometimes you'll get clowned for it in your draft room. But in the end, when you get through and play your week-to-week matchups, it doesn't matter if you took a guy at 70 or if you went at 90. The reason you would hope to get him at 90 is so you could hopefully get two top 70 players instead of one guy who you think is a top 70 guy. But that idea of reaching, sometimes if you're picking on the turn at pick 12 and then first pick of the next round, it's 24 picks or 23 picks until it gets back to your selection. So while it might be a reach, if you want that guy, there's 24 spots in between. He might not last back for you. So sometimes I think reaching is not a great idea, but also I think the idea that we have it in our head that it's such a gigantic negative that we're going to clown on people for doing it is probably not a great idea. You know what I'm going to say here, must draft list and do not draft list. It's absolute garbage. I am going to do shows that say you must draft this player, mainly because to get people to watch the show, for me to tell you, no, you don't. Right? That's that's part of how YouTube works. And, and I hate that it works that way. There is no such thing as a must draft player or a do not draft player. It is all everything in fantasy, including the way rankings are determined for category leagues. It's all relative. Is Anthony Davis a do not draft player? Well, if you're picking him at pick number five, probably, yeah, like I wouldn't pick him there. But in the mock I did the other day, he went to 16. I grabbed him. Is Kawhi Leonard, who could be a top six player per game, do you take him at 12? Probably not. But he was available at 45 in that mock draft the other day. So yeah, like he's draftable. I had someone tell me that I'm never drafting Lamelo Ball again. He's on my do not draft list because he got injured last season. All right, cool. The year before that, he played 75 games and was like the 12th best player. So if everyone thinks your way and he falls to pick 18, which I don't think he will, but if he does, like you take him. So there's no such thing as a must draft player. There's no such thing as a do not draft player. And you're going to see proliferations of either YouTube channels or articles or Twitter threads of you must grab this guy. It's very, very common in the fantasy football world. And it's all garbage. 
it's it's literally all garbage. Like, there's no such thing as those sort of um, those sort of uh, uh, phenomena, I guess. In season stuff, how do you deal with load management and back to backs? Um, again, I do think that load management gets just a, a it gets completely over exaggerated. Last season, in terms of players who routinely sat back to backs because of no reason other than to manage their load, it, it was Al Horford. That was it. Kawhi Leonard was returning from an ACL injury and he set out back-to-backs the same way Jamal Murray did, the same way Joe Ingles did. And then by the end of the season, Kawhi, despite having a setback in his knee, played in a back-to-back. No, now he's had another knee injury, so he's probably not going to play back-to-backs this season. But people just say, well, Paul George never plays back-to-backs. Absolute garbage. Paul George missed a couple of back-to-backs because he had a hamstring injury and he was returning from them, but he played in those other games. But because, and we're going to talk about this later as well, because of the way that narrative gets pushed onto you, you just think that everyone is just sitting every game every time. And it just isn't true. Do players miss more games now? Yes. Are teams smarter with injuries? Yes. Can it be frustrating? Yes. Do sometimes the injuries get exaggerated, especially in March and April? 100%. Absolutely, definitely. But there is also this narrative that players are just choosing to sit out every game. And you'll hear that, well, that's why I'm drafting Jason Tatum. That's why I'm drafting Anthony Edwards, because these guys want to play. Yeah, so do the others. All right, so do the others. And until, and when those guys, Mikhail Bridges is included, when they get injured, and it will happen at some point, they will miss games too. So I think there's an over-exaggeration of the impact on this. How do you use your IL slots and IR slots? You've got to understand if you've got them, what they mean. Yahoo's IL only slot is a bad is a bad slot. You've got to wait for them to give designation to make the guy IL eligible. And then otherwise you can't use that spot, which again, I think is absolutely insane and ridiculous. You should have every Yahoo slot as being IL plus. ESPN and Fantrax don't have that problem. They just have their IR slots. And as soon as someone's hurt, you can put them in that area. Completely fine. But you have to understand how you can use it. Do you have them? How many do you have? The more that you have those IL slots that you have in your draft, the more you're able to draft guys with a little bit of an injury cloud hitting into the season with them. So like a Kevin Durant or a Kawhi Leonard who's going to have some injury problems this season or LeBron who's 39 years old. All right, having those or understanding how to use them and putting guys in that spot and adding guys off the waiver wire based on how many waiver wire ads you have for the week, how do you utilize those positions? And then the next thing that goes to streaming strategy. What does streaming mean? It just means using one to two of your roster spots, maybe more, each week to just cycle through waiver wire players. Your 13th best player, if he plays three games for the week, that is nowhere near as valuable as getting six games of a waiver wire guy. Usually the 12th or 13 guys on your team are going to be fairly similar to the players available on the waiver wire. So using that guy to drop him and get someone else in and drop him and get someone else in to just get more games in a week is a viable strategy. Now, there's ways to curb that by having games limits for a week, uh, by having deeper benches to begin with, or by having acquisition limits. But understand what your league allows, how your league um, curbs that or doesn't. Like If you don't have acquisition limits for the week, you're absolutely insane not to stream spots. You will lose if you do not. So you have to understand how that works, how that impacts your draft, and then that translates through to the season of how you're able to win each weekly matchup by if if your opponent's not doing it, you get 10 extra games played perhaps. And that's really hard to overcome in a points league or even in a uh, category league for the week. It's basically impossible to overcome. What about some other strategies? You will hear a lot about handcuffing. 
It's a massive fantasy football thing, especially with running backs. Well, I'll grab the starter, then I'll grab the backup. In past years, you know, Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. Right? Do you do it this season with Zeke uh, on the Patriots? Do you grab him as a handcuff to, I think, Ramondre Stevenson? Whatever it is. In fantasy basketball, it's not really a thing. Right? It's not really a thing. And here's why. Because the way that a standard fantasy basketball league is set up, which I also think is incorrect, I don't like how they set it up with 10 starters and three bench. It doesn't really make any sense to go that shallow. Every player on your team in that scenario has to play for you every week. So if you are drafting Derek Rose because you think he's going to be Jar Morant's backup when Jar comes back, and you go, well, when Jar misses time, I'll just slot Rose in. Well, that's great, but that means that that roster spot is being used on a 14-minute-a-night player on the other games. Now, maybe that's not the best example, but I can use the guy that I've got in the picture here, Jackson Hayes. You're going to draft Anthony Davis in round two, and you go, well, with round 12, I'll just take Jackson Hayes because when Davis gets hurt, that means I just have his ready-made replacement right there. And that's, again, totally okay, but can you deal with having a guy playing 14 minutes a night for 15 of the 22 fantasy weeks? Probably not. Now, if your league has a deeper bench, if your league is a weekly league where you don't have to use your bench during the week, then handcuffing becomes a, a, a real thing where you can afford to have those players who you know will step up into larger roles if someone ahead of them gets hurt. There are a few of those sprinkled around the NBA. But in general, if you are coming across from fantasy football, handcuffing is not really a thing that works in fantasy basketball and it will just leave you with zeros or dud dud players on your roster who might pop off for three weeks of the year. And that will lead you to lose a lot of those other weeks. Trade psychology. All right, this is uh, very interesting to talk about because trading is one of the things that people love in fantasy. In fact, I think people love it too much and they just try to do trades because, well, I could be a GM. I'm going to pull these trades off and look how cool I am. And that's part of the thing that people love. Me, I'm not a massive trader. I really don't do trades in fantasy leagues because, again, I have a lot of the endowment effect, whereas I tend to value my guys more than other players. And that's something you're going to have to pay attention to when looking through uh, and doing trades. That is a general, that is a real thing, endowment effect. The player that you have, you will view him higher and your opponent will view the player that they have higher versus what else is out there. I invested a draft pick in this guy. Let's see what happens. Right, so you have to be aware of that when you're uh, when you're going through trades. Also, when you're doing trades, how do you approach it? Do you know the person? How do you have that discussion through a chat, through an individual text, through an email? Do you just send a trade offer through the site? Now, I think most people would suggest that just sending a a, a blind trade offer is the worst way to go about it. But there's different strategies of how you need to do this, and that's what I talk about with trade psychology. Buy low and sell high is the absolute pinnacle of trading. But it's also pretty hard to pull off because if the other person that you're trading with understands this phenomenon as well, well, they're not going to do it. They're not going to trade away a guy at his lowest point because you know, they don't understand that it's their lowest point. Some might, and you take advantage of those people. But a lot of the time, in order to pull off a successful trade, it's got to be some sort of win-win. That's why trading in fantasy points leagues is a lot harder because it's really hard to get a win-win. It's actually, it's almost impossible because at the end of the day, one of those players is going to average more fantasy points than the other, meaning that inherently there has to be a loser in that trade. So it's very hard to pull off a win-win. Now, you might think you've pulled off a win-win, but it's actually, I won't say literally impossible, but it's pretty close to literally impossible to pull off a win-win in a fantasy points league trade. It's impossible. 
So going through, setting, um, understanding how to throw first offers out there. Is the person a love of negotiation or are they just going to dismiss you offhand or they're not going to respond? How do you throw those sort of deals out there? Like, What is the risk of you making this trade? What is the reward if it comes off? Does it solve an actual need on your team? So you've got to have your own psychology of working through the endowment effect and working through the things that you need on your team versus how the other person views things. Don't look at it just from your... Look, we want to win every trade. That's the aim of making trades. And that's why a lot of it, if you can't actually get something where you think it's a win, you don't have to do it just for the sake of doing it. You don't have to. And I will often say that the general outcome in a trade is a loss because it's very hard to get a win-win and there's a win-loss one way, win-loss the other way, or a loss-loss, which happens often in trades as well. So it's really hard to be able to get a situation where you, know, you are coming out on top the majority of the time. So often, the best idea is just to pull out. And say, eh, maybe not. Maybe I'm not going to do this. So having a lot of different ways to look at it. In terms of trades as well, does your league have an insane setting where the league members vote on trades? If they do, please, for the love of God, change it. But if they do, and all your league members just vote to veto trades out of spite, well, don't waste your time even doing trades. Don't waste your time even trying to get something that benefits you because if your, your league members see that, they'll veto it anyway. And then all you'll be doing is trying to do trades that provide marginal to no benefit, waste your own time, could lead to actual loss of value for you. For what purpose? Don't waste your time on it. Don't Also, don't have league vetoes. Pretty easy. Said here, blockbuster trades. I think that that is an important thing. That's include. That's what we talk about doing two for ones, like throwing three of your mid-range players for a top end guy. That's an ideal scenario as well. The way to sort of approach that is to look at teams who are really dealing with injury bugs. If they've got three or four of their guys out, you can offer to give them some depth. Take that high end guy off their hands, throw three or four mid-range guys towards them. That hurts your immediate depth, but you hopefully have the strength of being able to um, replace those guys off the waiver wire and using your skills of identifying the waiver wire, opening up more streaming spots on your roster to be able to get that value in. As a general rule, getting a two-for-one, the one side is usually going to be favored. A three-for-one, same thing. But again, there's psychology involved in this. How do you, um, How do you approach it who do you target with this? What does it mean for the rest of your roster, the domino effect of you trading away three mid-range guys for a top-end play? What happens if that top-end guy then gets hurt? You've got no depth to back it up. So there is a risk of doing that, even though getting that top-end guy usually works out. But if he gets hurt, it doesn't. You've lost a ton of depth. And that might change the entire structure of how your team looks. So there's a lot of factors in there. It's not, there's not a blanket. Again, the blanket rule is two for one, you want the one side as a blanket rule, but it's never as simple as that. It's about looking at so many different individual factors and working out how that works for you. Punting is a very useful strategy, but it's not the be-all and end-all of everything. Punting, if you don't know, is in a category league where you just disregard a category. You don't try to be worse in a category, you disregard a category. I'm going to do a full show on punting coming up in a week or two, but it's something that gets misused, mismanaged, uh, misthought of, um, and, and really overvalued and also undervalued at times. But that is a strategy that is important to know about and work out whether you're going to be able to do that. What are some potential pitfalls in a draft, in a season for fantasy basketball? Hometown heroes is a big one. If you are in a league with a bunch of mates from high school, from college, and you're all from Milwaukee, right? So in general, you know that players in your league might be 
all Bucks fans. So are they going to overrate Drew Holiday or Chris Middleton or Brook Lopez or Bobby Portis? Are they, is that how they're going to view things? Are you going to do the same thing? Well, this guy's actually my favorite player, so it's just I need to have him on my team. And to a degree, I, I do understand that. And that is totally okay that I want guys on my team that are fun and that I will go to see in person and that I will and I will support. I totally understand that. But there is a pitfall associated with that is that if you are just looking at the guys who are super popular in your league and they, you are fans of them because they're on your team, that you often miss a lot of value and your team is not as strong as a result. Is it more fun for you? Probably, yeah. And you have to weigh whether that is more fun for you or getting more success in your fantasy league is more important to you. And for some of you, your preferences will lie on either side of that. But it is a pitfall when you are a fan of a team or a fan of a player to really be cautious of. FOMO. We all know what FOMO means, fear of missing out, right? So what do I mean by this? This is part of the trade discussion. Well, this guy did a trade. Well, I, well, I, I need to do a trade. I haven't done a trade. Yeah, itchy trade fingers. I haven't done a trade in two, in two days. What am I doing? I haven't even sent an offer out. Um, what about seeing guys go off the waiver wire? Well, if I don't grab this guy, somebody else will. And that can often lead you to making the mistake of dropping a player that's more valuable because you want to make sure you're the guy who gets this player, even though it might not make any sense for your team or there's any value in that long term. There are, again, different strategies for this versus like it's my worst player. Who cares? I'm going to drop him later on. All of that. But these biases of I've got to grab this guy, I've got to be involved in a trade discussion, I've got to be active on the waiver wire can lead to mistakes of dropping the wrong player. We also have, and you'll see this reflected in ADP data and ranking list, offensive bias. Now, in points leagues, totally fair enough because the vast majority of points leagues, the ones using default scoring settings, the players who score the more, most real-life points are the players who scored the most fantasy points. So we are naturally inclined to look at the guys that score 20 a night, 25 a night, and overvalue them. And that also carries through into category leagues as well, is that the guys that score more but might be bad at field goals or free throws or turnovers or assists or steals or blocks or whatever it is, they might be 20-point scorer Colin Sexton with two rebounds and three assists, and that 20 points makes them look way better than they are because we have because of offensive bias. There is value in that at times because if everyone's grabbing points early, well, you need to sort of jump on if you want to be competitive in that. But if everyone, and the rankings all skew that way towards points, is grabbing points early, well, maybe you can go the other way and go, well, actually, I'm not going to be competitive in points. Let's rack up some of the other stats while people don't care about it too much. Defensive stats still have value. Obviously, in a points league, nowhere near as much. Three points for a block is not that valuable. You block two shots a game, cool. You know, Jaron Jackson blocks three shots a game last season. That's nine fantasy points. Who scored nine points per game last season? Were they a great fantasy guy? No, they weren't. And yeah, nine's a nice little bonus, but we know how it skews, and we know that it skews. Uh, towards offense quite a bit. All right. Psychology is an interesting. I'm not going to dive massively into all this psychology stuff, but there's a lot of things we need to figure out. We need to understand is a part of fantasy. What are your biases? Do you irrationally really love a player? Is it because he's him? He's a bucket? He's a pure hooper? Do you really love that aesthetic of players? Maybe. Are you someone like me? who maybe disregards that level of player to a degree and values guys who are more impactful for team winning, who pass a little bit more, who defend better, who take better shots. Is that a bias that I have? Sure. But it's not always just about recognizing your own bias. Recognize the bias of where you're getting your information. 
I will be relatively clear about the things that I'm biased with or the way that I view the game and the game of fantasy and the game of the NBA. So when I say things, understand where that comes from. Understand what biases I have as well versus any other analyst that you listen to as well. And listen to other analysts, no problem. Do that. Always get more than one idea and use your own ideas as well. But what are their biases? Do they have a team that they are fans of? Do they inherently think that I was going to be a smart ass? Oh, I will be a smart ass. Do they think that the NBA is out to get them because they issued a warning about Damian Lillard being traded to Miami and the league just hates the heat and everything they do is against Miami? I'm sure you've seen that. Been thrown around quite a bit by Miami fans. It's bias. It's what's what happens. We all have it. Recognize your own bias. Understand your league mates bias. Understand the analyst bias. Understand the website bias where you're getting the information or the ranking numbers. What you do with that information is up to you, but recognize that it exists. Impulse control. What does that mean? Well, that means, again, I've got to grab this guy off the waiver wire. Do you? Does that mean you're dropping someone better? Well, this is a good trade. I'm going to do a trade. Do you need to grab this guy? Oh my God, he sprained his ankle first two minutes of the game. Um, He's immediately dropped. Oh, one of 10 shooting. What are you doing? You kill my field goals. Banished. Well, the player doesn't care that you dropped him to the waiver wire and you might've just cost yourself by being impulsive. Just pull back on it. Control yourself with that sort of stuff because again, it can lead to quite a few sort of negative um, results. Really, really easy to, to see how that can happen. But just don't overreact to a bunch of stuff that happens. I will see so many, one of the worst places, I don't even know if it still exists, to see this is the Yahoo player chat. Whereas the game would start, you're three minutes in, and someone who I might have said, man, was a, a you know, man, this guy's not a good pickup. And he goes five or five in the first five minutes. Man, Josh is the worst. He doesn't know anything that he's talking about. Um, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to grabbing this guy, ride him for the rest of the season. And then he misses his next 10 shots, ends with uh, 10 points, no rebounds, no assists. And the next game has three points total. And you go, oh, what, what did I do? What, what am I doing? Because I just had to react immediately. Now, sometimes immediacy is important. It's also another reason why I think that fab is a better way of acquiring free agents. Because it actually lets you sit and think about the production and what it means for your team. Decision fatigue. What do I mean by that? It just means that towards an end of a season, a lot of people will be like, oh, I can't be bothered setting my lineup. Right? I can't be bothered doing this. So you're working out ways that when you are going through struggle periods in fantasy or in your life or busy times, how do you just make the time to do this, which is a game and a hobby? How do you set aside the time to set it? Well, every every Monday morning, I'm going to set 30 minutes and I go look at my lineups, I'm going to make some waiver wire moves, whatever. Rather than like just, well, oh, I'm just going to disregard it. And then you drop off and league integrity changes and you just get frustrated with everything. I think it's something to pay attention to. Group thinking consensus bias is a real thing as well. Again, when I say listen to multiple analysts do that, but often us as fantasy analysts will start circle jerking a single player and they'll go, well, I'm higher on this guy. Well, actually, I'm higher on him. No, actually, I'm higher on him. Well, actually, I'm lower on him. I'm lower on him. And they push guys up and down and it changes the board. Then you buy into it and you buy into these reasonings. And then when someone pushes back on it, they're a hater and they're the one going against things. And there's a whole bunch of things that can subconsciously affect the way that we approach players. Just understand that you know, this consensus or groupthink bias, just because... of people think something is going to happen. It doesn't mean that it is. Have a way to value it yourself. Have an idea of how you're going to approach it and have reasoning. And that's one of the big things that I've always said across this show and this channel. You might not agree with my outcomes. You might not agree with the way that I 
um, come to where these players are positioned in ranks or how I approach it. But I'm always going to give you the reasoning as to why I think it. Like at the moment, back to the PJ Washington thing, I'm much down. I'm very much down on Brandon Miller now because I'm just not really sure how he's getting enough minutes under the coach with those other players there. And sure, maybe that doesn't work out because Gordon Hayward plays two games for the year and PJ Washington um, gets hurt and Miles Bridges, because he's on a qualifying offer, they decide to play in 12 minutes a night. That could all happen. And Bridges th- th- thrives and flourishes playing 34 a night under notorious rookie hater Steve Clifford. Could all happen. But I've got reasonings behind why I think it won't and trying to lay them out. So understanding how that can go through that. Risk management and resilience, again, that's part of like trades. And like, is this trade going to make me better? Is there a risk that makes me worse? What do I do? How do I try and minimize that risk that's associated with any move that I make? And resilience is like, man, I got four guys injured this week. Well, there you go. My season's over. Is it? Or what if you're, the other opponents get four guys injured next week and all your guys come back? Well, you're literally just back on even playing terms. So having an understanding of how we go through, and this also ties in with mindfulness and composure, which is the next point on here. If we go through and look at this and understand that things are going to happen. There are going to be shit weeks where guys underperform. You have fewer games played. You have guys get hurt. It's not you, right? It's not you. It's not because of you that this is happening. You are don't, you're not sitting there, well, it's only happening to me. You see this all the time on Reddit. Someone will post it, man, I've got three guys injured and everyone loves to jump in. Me too, me too, me too. Are you me? And they say it all the time, right? It, it's not just you. It happens to everybody. How often do you think someone's going through a fantasy season where they go through and no one gets hurt? You just amplify it because it's happening to you in the moment. But understand that it's going to get better and it is going to change and things are going to alter often, daily, weekly. But without giving up because you had four guys get hurt on one day or your whole team shot 10 of 50 from the line on one day, extreme example, obviously, like it doesn't mean the end of the world for your team. And the last thing is something that I have been, I don't know if coining is the right term, but been talking about for a while and I've given it a name. I'm going to call it highlight real bias. And you see old mate down the bottom here, Cam Thomas. Could have put bowl bowl there. The way that so much media is consumed now is social media, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, whatever it is, little bits and highlights on ESPN. So we see these things. We see Cam Thomas drop 40 points in a game for three games in a row. And now he's the savior of the world. We see Bol Bol block a shot and throw a dunk down. And oh man, look at this guy. Look how cool he is. Awesome. But then we don't see the next game when Bol has two points in 12 minutes, shoots 20% from three and looks lost every defensive position. No one clips that and puts it as a highlight. No one talks about it. So if you're, on, if you're only looking at things from a highlight perspective, you just think players are way better than they are. And especially these guys with these highlight real type plays. And it absolutely is a thing, highlight real bias. And then if someone dares to call out, well, hey, Cam Thomas had four points in 12 minutes. Um, you're a hater. But in fantasy, we don't only score the highlight games. Everything's counts. So if you are having a big game when seven rotation players are out, well, the reality is it's probably not going to stick later on. And then when you're out of the rotation, it does need to be mentioned because otherwise you don't have it in your head. You're not watching every single minute of every single game. You aren't doing it. What you are doing is clipping things off highlights. And I'm always going to make it my point to point out the things that are shit because it doesn't get mentioned anyway. And that's not me trying to be negative or a hater, but it's provide perspective. For example, 
Yesterday, all we've been hearing about the last three weeks, Anthony Edwards, maybe he's a sneaky bet for MVP. He's dominating Team USA. Look how, oh man, this guy, he is him. He's our new Kobe. He's MJ. Today, first game of the FIBA World Cup, 14 points against New Zealand. Does, is it five turnovers, one, two assists or something. Shot 50% from the line. Is anybody talking about it? Is there any clips? Is there anything about Anthony Edwards being the new MJ or being an MVP or being the next guy that's going to be the face of the NBA? Shout out to you, Kendrick Perkins. No, nobody is saying any of that. But the last thing, if you've only just been scrolling social media and seeing these things, is that Anthony Edwards is dominating. He dropped 34 in a warm-up game. He's the face of everything. And that's what will be in your head without seeing that he didn't have it. He wasn't terrible, but he didn't have a particularly strong game. It was Paulo Bunkero, the guy who was really good for uh, Team USA. But you don't see it. Highlight real bias. The last thing I want to talk about, highlight of this, is time frame thinking. You're in a daily changes league, you're in a weekly changes league. Changes what you do. Are you looking for short-term gains versus long-term gains? What does it mean? How do you make that move to, like, if I trade for this player right now, will he produce for me? Or am I in a comfortable position where I can hold to wait, like on someone, like Amen Thompson? I think he's talking to you. And maybe later in the season, him or Asar, they get 30 minutes a night in February. But we don't know that that'll happen. And is it worth holding on? What are your focuses? Where are you looking? In a weekly league, because you're setting a lineup for a week, you can afford to look four or five weeks in the future because you can sit a guy on the bench he doesn't play. In a daily changes league, you probably can't. Unless you get to the top of the standings and you're okay, then you can start to load up and acquire players with better playoff schedules who you think are going to be playing larger minute roles when March rolls around. But finding the balance in there, it's never just about, well, I'm drafting everybody with great playoff schedules because you might not make it to the playoffs. Or I'm just doing everything exactly for right now with every player on my team and then you have no hope later on in the year. It's finding that right balance and understanding the right area to, to look at things and a, approach those different um, timeframes. And that, I hope, are a bunch of things that help you in a fantasy league, whether it's a first-time player or a seasoned veteran. A few things there. I delved a little bit more into the psychology of things, which I haven't really done before. Some basic tips, but also some other things that I think are really important when we look at things. It is not a simple, here is a list of players. I will take the best one. Haha, <laughs> I am winning. It's not, it doesn't work that way as simply. There are a lot of different things. And when you are looking to take things to the new level, understanding my biases, your biases, anyone else's biases, the things that we love, the things that we hate, and what that means and how it's all presented, I think ends up being really important. So drop your comments down below. Tell me how much of a wanker I am for doing the same video again. Go ahead, do it. But tell me what you got out of this. Tell me what else you think is an important factor to note in a fantasy basketball league. Follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app and on YouTube. Thumb it up and leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Yes, 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 yes.